celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Anna Taylor, Paralympian number 225. Anna made her Paralympic debut at the 2020 Tokyo Games in 2021, a mere two years after her initial debut into the international cycling platform in 2019. Last year at the 2022 UCI Paracycling Track World Championships, she earned herself the title of bronze medalist in the 500 meter time trial, as well as bronze in the Omnium. Further, she's a D1 rowing alum of Oregon State University, a cancer survivor and role model who turned her devastating spinal cord injury into her journey to conquer the comeback. She's involved with the Harvey Norman Parasports Champions Initiative and Athlete Council. Among many other things, Anna is a legend. She's got contagious positivity and it is such a pleasure to welcome her to Tall Poppy Talk today. Anna, where and how are you today? Ah, oh, hi Grace. Wow, that actually made me tear up a little bit. That was really cool <laughs> um, hearing that. Um, yeah, I'm really good. I'm doing really good. Um, I'm here in Cambridge trying to dodge the rain uh at the moment but yeah life's really good oh I love to hear that and I can hear and see the emotions as context Anna and I are friends we've known each other before but you genuinely are such a role model so to have you on this platform and to share your story and even for me as I was researching for this interview I'm learning even more and it's um yeah it's it's really something and I know we met first through our brilliant mutual friend, shout out Kaza, Karen. Um, and I know you work a lot. You've worked for the district health board as a youth, men- um, a youth mental health worker, which is just amazing. All these things. And I just want to know, how would you define yourself if we were to exclude the word cyclist? Yeah, when, when you first asked me this question, I found it quite tough, actually. You know, cycling isn't my whole identity, but I was trying to like wrap up everything of what I am and I think as I do go through it I'm many things to many people you know I'm a daughter a sister and auntie a friend partner colleague um you know all of those labels I guess but um I'd say I'm an athlete at the at heart um regardless of the code I'm highly competitive um and quite an adaptable athlete I guess Um, but I'm also quite adventurous and ambitious I really love talking and engaging with people and I guess I try and like joke and add joy through storytelling (laughs) Um, yeah I also love learning um, and trying to understand how things work or question why things are the way they are and problem solve yeah I like you no, know, I like the part where you say many, like many roles, many things for different people. Um, and also as we'll dive into the athlete as the core is so accurate because it's transferable. I know you swimming, rowing, cycling, it's that competitive nature. And so the ability you have to adjust is evident. It's almost exciting. Like, what are you going to do? next after cycling (laughs) um stay tuned you don't even know but what is definitely a theme amongst everything you do is 
giving back and engaging to others. And I wanted to ask if you could outline your role within the Athlete Council and explain a bit about what exactly that encompasses. Yeah, so it's a new initiative through Paralympics New Zealand. It's the Paralympic Athlete Council. And so I'm a council member as of last year. So we just got through our first year and there's six of us on the council. We kind of discuss um, pertinent topics in sport and give athlete feedback. It's really, really cool experience and um, opportunity to be a part of. And I really love giving feedback and learning about how things run and giving feedback on that, I guess. Yeah. Is that something that is new in general to Paralympics? like uh, New Zealand Paralympics, the Athlete Council? It, it is a new initiative. I'd say it's quite a new thing in sport in New Zealand, at least. Uh, there's more of a push for athlete voice and athlete representation in discussions and decision-making places. And so it's a it's an opportunity to kind of give feedback and um, be a part of the process. Yeah, it's really necessary. cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. And um, there's six of you, so I imagine they get a, a nice diverse pool, at least, of codes. Or are you primarily cyclists, swimming? Uh, what's the mix, if you can say, of who's involved? Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, Sarah Ellington is our chair. She's one of my teammates in cycling. And then we have Anna Grimaldi, who is with athletics. Then there's Carl Murphy, who's with Snow Sports, Michael Johnson, who's with uh, Paris Sport Shooting, and Jacob Phillips, who's with Athletics also. Yeah. We have such a good group, and the, the diversity of both ages, codes, winter, summer, um, just everyone involved, you know, gives lots of different um, opinions and experiences both in sport and in Paralympics it's yeah it's really we get really good discussion and I'm really excited for the future of Paralympic sport in New Zealand and I guess internationally as well The, I mean I I love the organization I love what it stands for and it's really cool to be a part of it I know too prior to cycling you had great ambitions to compete at the highest level as you are but in rowing you went to college in the States for Ryan and you've said, you know, had Olympic dreams in that avenue. And the original comeback was during your time at Oregon State with the Beavers. You were, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you were, you were diagnosed with thyroid cancer and survived it to all there to then be named All-American less than two years later. And that is a huge feat. And uh, sidebar, that's just incredible. Your next comeback mission followed your spinal cord injury in 2016. And after suffering these insane physical setbacks, you've continued to strive. And now you successfully compete as an elite athlete in Paralympic cycling. Can you please talk us through the motivation and thought process that led to you pursuing high performance cycling? and attending that identification camp in 2018? Yeah, so I kind of stumbled into it, to be honest. When I first did my back, I so I didn't understand actually how serious 
of an injury it was. Having come through cancer as a teenager, that was my 10 out of 10 hardest thing that I've ever been through. And so I kind of had this idea that I'd ticked off, you know, my, this is the challenge, this is the roadblock that I'm going to have to face. Ticked it off and I was quite excited in that regard. I was just like, cool, I've faced the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to face in my life. And then, you know, I do my back and I just, I didn't actually have any comprehension of how bad it was. And so when I was in hospital, having had surgery and I didn't really have as much mobility as I thought, you know, I thought, okay, this is just part of the process. You just have to get going. Um, Actually a year, just over a year before I um, ended up in hospital for my back, I had surgery on my hip. And so I'd literally just spent a year going through the rehab process of um, fixing a torn labrum in my hip. So I was, it was more an annoyance and a kind of like a, a devastation of, I know I can get through this, but I don't want to have to get through this. Like I really just wanted just like a smooth road, um, so to say. So I guess once I kind of, got through, you know, the initial shock of, okay, I'm back at square one again, um, went through the rehab process and it was after about a year and I still wasn't anywhere near my strength or ability that I had pre my back. And it was kind of dawning on me that, you know, I hadn't been back in the boat for, you know, nearly two years. And it was kind of dawning on me that this, you know, rowing isn't going to be an option anymore. And I was having a conversation with one of my rowing teammates, Jessica, shout out Jessica, um, who was rowing at the same boat club in Canada as the Canadian Para 4. And, you know, when I was talking to her about what was going on and she suggested to sign up for para, para rowing. And, you know, my time, my understanding of Paralympics or um, disability was pretty limited. I didn't have much exposure, if, if at any exposure to um, what that meant, what that pathway was. And so I, you know, immediately dismissed it. It wasn't, I didn't identify as having a disability. I just had, had a back injury that was not recovering. It didn't kind of marry up for me. And you know, it was kind of a little bit through her insistence of like, you know, just try it out, just go, go through the process, see how far you can get. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? They can say no. And, you know, it's an avenue for you. So um, I did, I just filled out some forms, had some interviews and they're just like, well, we're not really sure. We'll just like, it's not a very common injury to have. And like, it's, I think it's quite rare um, to have this condition. So yeah, I just kind of went through the process and then I got a medical assessment and was classified. It was a classifiable um, disability and kind of just got on my bike. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the identify, identification camp, what was that like? Like what prep went into heading to that camp? Uh, so I had to get a like a physio assessment and like you fill out 
to be involved with Paralympics, you have to have an impairment and a classifiable disability. So it's kind of like two-pronged. Um, and there's a lot of medical assessment involved in it. So you have to get um, your doctor's records and um, then you have to go through what's called a classification assessment and they measure through a process your um, impairment. And then you, that gets ranked and you get a class. Um, that's how it works in cycling anyway. And so I had to do that pre the camp just to show, because it's, I guess I would probably fall into what's called like a an invisible disability. It's not very obvious to people who see me that that's something that I'm facing. So yeah, I, I went through that process and then showed up at the camp and then it was just a series of tests and it was, it was more just like, have a go. This is cycling. <laughs> this is what potentially is available to you if you want to join this community. Um, yeah, that's kind of what it was like. I was in uh, New Plymouth and yeah, it was just a really great group of people. And it was, it was hard because it hadn't quite married up in my mind yet that this was a community that I could be a part of because I didn't identify as having a disability. And so it was a real, it was really hard for me to think that what I was facing wasn't going to get better. And at that point it had been over a year and a half. Um, yeah. I think Jessica is a very good friend who recognized <laughs> your drive and your need to be in that competitive space. And I want to know what inspired you to then share this journey through Conquer the Comeback um, social media account and to share this journey with others? Yeah, Jessica is a really good friend. I <laughs> just going going back a little bit. I always kind of saw myself, regardless of you know if I was in a high performance environment or not, that I would be someone who would be super active and involved in competitive sports. You know, I think I was always going to be the master swimmer or the master triathlete or do Ironman or do coast to coast or climb mountains with my brother and my dad. And, you know, I always saw myself living an active life. And since having this injury, you know, a lot of things have kind of become not really accessible um, in that regard anymore. Um, so I guess having the outlet of cycling was good. I mean, I've, it was starting to kind of leak out and my, my competitiveness was starting to leak out in like everyday, <laughs> everyday life. I would have competitions with people who didn't even know that they were in competition with me because I just like had this need to have be in competition and <laughs> it was really hard not having an outlet for that, uh, you know, like people walking down the street or, um, you know, eating at a cafe or who could drink their water faster or um, playing card games with friends or, you know, like it was, there was lots of things in my life that I just make into a competition because there was not an outlet for me to kind of fulfill that need. Yeah, I um, can see that, that needing to have an outlet somewhere. Otherwise you could start competing with people in the supermarket about who can, I don't know, do something like who the for the cereal first or <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and 
I was doing things like that. I was just like, and like, it's a, I think it's just one of my core personality traits is to be competitive. And I think when I have a uh, natural outlet for that, then I can tame it in, you know, other places. So now that I've got cycling and hopefully, you know, other things coming forward, I've got an outlet for that part of me. And I did want to highlight and ask about that. Your first international debut comes in 2019. Let's just remember the identification camp was in 2018. So that's only a year later. And that was at the UCI Para Cycling Track World Championships. Pretty quick concession. You're competing at the Tokyo Paralympics. We know you have a competitive spirit. We just focused on that insane work ethic and you have a history of high performance across disciplines you're a swimmer when you were younger transitioned to rowing and now cycling at what point growing up did you realize you were performing very well in your respective sports and did that change your expectations going into training and races Uh, I don't think I ever really thought that I was a talented athlete so much as a child or even as a teenager, I think I was always a kid that just really tried hard and had excess energy. So I was just involved in sport in a com- and um, a competitive person. So it was just like a perfect marry up of burn off excess energy and being a competitive environment. Um, you know, I played netball and basketball and did the odd triathlon and swimming all throughout my childhood. And then once I became a teenager and was at St. Peter's I was able to more focus on rowing in the summer and then basketball in the winter um yeah I don't know I don't think I ever really felt like I was super talented I never really was a standout sports star I'd say but I was always someone who just loved participating in it so and always wanted to be better so yeah okay I was gonna say like when the motivation is so internal you just you want to compete you want to get after it and you're not necessarily looking at I mean the results are always welcomed and wanted and assessed that's the Mm. competitive part of it but it sounds like because you've just always you were going to do it no matter what whether you were a professional like doing it at an elite level or not you were going to keep competing it sounds the way I interpret it as you didn't have that aha moment it's just always been there yeah it really has I think I like to say I was a little bit of a um a energetic child (laughs) and I think I've had a I think my parents would call me stubborn but I think I have a really strong will I have to know then what is a key tip or strategy? And that's a hard thing to narrow down to. Everyone's like, Grace, there isn't. Um, but what is a key tip or strategy you employ to stay on top of your game from a mental health and well-being perspective? Yeah. Yeah, that is quite a hard one. <laughs> I feel like I'm not, I don't feel like I've ever really been on top of my game in, in that regard. I think it's more just how do you maintain what you got and keep moving forward. I think there's a lot of skills that I learned that I've kind of learned through sport that have then helped me 
when I'm, you know, facing the big challenges. Um, one of the the main ones that I kind of come back to is, you know, when you're facing like these big challenges, like like cancer or um, a major surgery or an illness or any kind of injury or just anything really. I kind of think about it how it is at the start of a race, either, you know, the start of a swimming race or the start of a, a 2K or the start of a pursuit in cycling or just like anything. And it's like you, if you think about the end, you're just going to have a miserable time. Like it's just, it's too hard of a thing to think about the end, you know? So it's, you only ever focus on, you know, the, the start. So, you know, the first five strokes or, you know, the first, sequence of you know you dive in the water get past the flags you know the start of a running race three quarter half three quarter three quarter full or <laughs> you know in the pursuit you hear it ticking down and it's it's just like don't think about what's coming just think about where you are and it's helped in you know every like hard session that I do you know it kind of goes back and forth you know in training you never think about you know the the hard session that you've got all the way coming through you just think about you know, the first chunk of it. It's the same when you're, you know, facing a big life challenge is try not to think about the whole thing as a thing that you have to get through. It's just what's the next thing that I have to progress. Um, and I got some really good advice from my dad when I was in the midst of the first challenge of um, when I was really sick in the States. And I really wanted to quit probably every other day. I was calling home being like, I can't do it anymore. Um, this is really hard. Um, yeah, like I want to throw in the towel. Like I just want to come home. Sorry. No. <laughs> um, yeah, like I just, um, sorry, just take a breath. Um, like I wanted to quit many times um and kind of just like yeah come home throw in the towel give up on everything that I'd kind of been working towards <clears throat> and it was probably after the hundredth time I'd say <laughs> having this conversation with my dad and he's just like you can if that's truly what you want to do then we'll support you to do that but is that truly something that you want to do? And, you know, when you're really sick or you're tired or you're angry, <clears throat> you often just want to, I don't know, almost take the easy road out. And, you know, my dad said, you know, when you're in a state of, you know, illness or, or fatigue or anger is the worst time to make life-changing decisions. So he said, if you have a good day and you decide, okay, this isn't for you anymore, you want to stop, then we will come and get you. Like, that, you fine, we'll support you in that. And it was a really hard, to, uh, hard um, lesson to learn, but he was so right because on the days that I was good or, you know, they weren't as bad, I was like, there's absolutely no, no way that I want to stop doing what I'm doing. Like, this is definitely where I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to be doing. It's just really hard. And I've kind of employed that in every other obstacle that's kind of come up 
since is, you know, is what I'm doing. Do I want to stop what I'm doing because it's hard and it's really challenging and it's really making me call on, call deep on my courage and my resilience? Or is it something that I just don't want to do anymore and I need to step away? And so it's a, it was a really hard lesson to learn, but I think it was a really important one because I don't want to look back on life and regret the decisions that I make because I made them because they were I was in a tough decision and I chose to give up. That um, advice from your dad, I can imagine even him giving it. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation, but hearing it, I can imagine as a parent more than anything, they wanted you to be home with them. But that's a wisdom incredible to have heard for you, but to share that, I'm I'm at a loss of words. Thank you for sharing that. That's um that's truly like a beautiful message that he sent to you and that you can share because you've accomplished so much that if you had gone home, no one would have thought anything of it. That's totally understandable and expected. But then for your first situation in the States, two years later, all American people worked their entire lives at that point to try even get close to it. I would never even got close to that. So to go through what you went through and to achieve something for yourself and for your team and for your parents and your whole family. And then same with cycling to pick this up and all those core values that you can hear listening to this, your kindness, your positivity, your resilience to then be at the Paralympic Games into last year, just to be getting medals at the world championships. Like I'm genuinely so excited to see what comes in this next few years and beyond and beyond. And so I'm so grateful that you've shared that with us because that's, um, yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I often get the question of, you know, why didn't you come home? when you were diagnosed like why did you stay in the states and you know the the challenge you know the parts where it got really really tough happened after we made that decision of I was going to stay and the information that we were given at the time was the U.S. have a far the U.S. have an incredible medical system and the access to the medical services that I had in the states were were amazing and you know my mom and my aunt came over for my surgery and it was there was a process afterwards that you know I ha- I always had support around me it was and it was always going to be a challenge regardless if I was at home um with my mum or if I was at in the states you know living in the dorms but I had you know my whole Oregon State rowing team supporting me you know like I had that big family around me you know it didn't stop the it didn't stop the hurt and the um the grief and the challenge that came with um that process but it was I didn't want to be I didn't want my life to change or to be stopped because of a cancer diagnosis and I was quite adamant on the fact that I was not going to let something like that stop who I was or what I was doing so yeah. it was the main reason why 
one of the main reasons why I, I decided to stay. And the beavers, as you call them, I don't know <laughs> if I can say that as a non-beaver. Like I see them posting articles about you. They're following your cycling. Like they're understandably very proud to have you as an alum. So I see that support, just how they continue to follow you and they should be proud of you. You're, a, you're, you're, st- you're doing them well. Um, wow. I want to transition into the question that drives the podcast. And I feel like we've already learned so much from you today and heard, but I would ask you to describe tall poppy syndrome from your perspective and how slash has it impacted you? I think tall poppy syndrome is, you know, cutting down people who are, you know, rising above, I think is what the definition is, I guess of it. I think, and I don't think I've really experienced it myself too much, or if I have, I just haven't taken too much notice of it, but I do see it around and I think it's more it permeates more in people not wanting to not wanting to or being more uncomfortable at celebrating their own successes and you know it comes across as comments like uh, it wasn't that big of a competition or um, it's not an Olympic year or I didn't do as well when it mattered or you know, comments like that, but I think it's important to celebrate the successes that we have. You know, they come far and few between. We, as athletes or as anyone anywhere in life, you know, these big celebration moments don't come around that often. I think we should really celebrate it as they can. I was, that was a big thing that I learned from my time in the States is Americans are very might be a generalization at least my experience at Oregon State is people were very willing to celebrate each other and the successes that each other had and it was such a cool experience of people sharing what they were good at or sharing the cool things that they've experienced or just being more open about that sort of stuff and it was really cool and then you come back to New Zealand and it's only really in passing comments or you know when you have a deep dive one-on-one conversation and you hear that there are people who have these incredible life stories and you really you're just like I would read your book if you wrote one or you know I was just like why don't more people know this about you or you should share this information it's really cool uh just yeah I think what you're doing with shedding light on tall poppy syndrome is really cool and I think it's great because if we can have more people who are willing to share you know their successes and their triumphs then you know we all we all rise with that I love that and that is a part of it like the tall poppy syndrome word insinuates this negative element of giving it to others but I love and I resonate with what you said about it's the comments we say to ourselves and learning to celebrate our success and celebrate the success with others I think that's huge and my experience in the states was the same it's everyone was on my rowing team so hype if someone hit a 2k PR like more hype than if they shared their own but then if you got a 2k PR you were telling everyone about it because that's crazy and painful and oh my gosh and 
I found I could learn because then I'd say like, well, what was your pacing? And they would tell me how they like went about it. And then next time I did mine, I was like, oh, I'm going to implement some of that and, or, or employ. So as you've said, the learning, I would read your book. I would listen to your podcast. I am like, <laughs> that's exactly your point is if you go a little bit deeper, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know they did that. Or you start asking questions. And I find people are so willing and keen to share when you do get into these conversations and mm. I can try and learn as much as I can about you before I spoke to you but just in this conversation my respect and knowledge has like quadrupled just from having the time to actually like you be willing to talk about everything you've accomplished and share that with me so I, I love that and I think that that's a really positive way to look at tall poppy syndrome is hey we can all rise and there's a room enough for everyone if if we're willing to like have those conversations I um I love that I only have one more official question and then I have my sneaky one you've (laughs) you've competed in many countries many different teams and codes from swimming rowing cycling heaps of different groups of people I just want to know what's been your favorite place to compete so far and where is your dream location? Oh, so that's a tough question. I'd say my favorite competition so far was the Games, Tokyo Paralympic Games in Aizu. We were a satellite village um, a few hours away from Tokyo, and it was just the most beautiful town. And the velodrome was awesome. It was just a crazy cool experience. I loved it, everything about it. It was nice. my favorite campaign favorite rice favorite everything and what about your dream location next um uh, my dream location well so I'm a track cyclist so tracks velodromes often look exactly <laughs> the same <laughs> when you're on the inside you know whether they're a little bit more round or less round they're kind of, kind of all quite similar uh but I would say probably probably going back to Paris for 2024 yes I was gonna say at the inside area it's the only way you make records or hold them for five <laughs> minutes and then chase them later I love reading about that um yeah the velodrome's gonna be the same but Paris that's a pretty good one that's yeah getting closer too uh yeah 2023 gosh um I know next year oh it's gonna be cool yeah oh I'm I'm so excited to see what's happening a year away no doubt you'll pack it full of stuff so to wrap up this incredible conversation I need to ask if you could just have one meal for the rest of your life it's breakfast lunch and dinner what's it gonna be I've thought a lot about this (laughs) and it may be a controversial answer but I'd go with scrambled eggs talk us through that I love scrambled eggs. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. Just, I did actually was trying to think of like a loophole of how you to do this. It would be like an omelette of every single topping yes. that you can have. Because then you can just like, if you want like cheese omelette one day or a veggie omelette the other day, it's all there in one omelette. You can tailor it. Huge protein intake we're getting from this egg space I like that I'm personally 
I think I like I love porridge the same way you must love scrambled eggs like I could do porridge at all times but it's because I can feed in is it going to be peanut butter is it going to be berries Mm. cinnamon like it's interchangeable so I think we're actually ahead of everyone (laughs) (laughs) oh wow um to formally wrap (laughs) wait go on Um, I just wanted to add something to the um tall poppy yeah yeah yeah, I think when um, it's interesting, you know, when we're we're talking about, you know, when we share our stories with others, the successes and stuff like that, I think it also makes us feel less alone when you know you hear people do these these amazing things. It makes you feel like you are also capable and able to do those things also yeah it's it's something that maybe it's just something that I grew up watching Iron Man or watching people do these crazy feats it was cool because you just you're so unassuming of what people are capable of but if we are more open and sharing that you kind of see that the people around us are really amazing and Uh, capable of doing really great things and it makes you feel less alone when you know you face the challenges that you face yourself it's just like I don't know how I'm going to get through this and you have more of a backlog of okay there's all these people who also felt that way and look at where they are now it's yeah I think it's something that I try and (laughs) I feel uncomfortable myself sharing my story in that regard but when I think back to if I had stories like that when I was going through it I would be I would feel more confident that there was a light at the end of the tunnel to know that there are other people that have been able to successfully come through the other side and I think that's something that has maybe quashed a little bit through that thank you I think that's such a great addition and exactly the story and message you're spreading so thank you thank you for being involved in this and for supporting me before you even know I knew I wanted to absolutely have you involved I think you've shared so much personal things today and everyone does but in particular your story is there's been struggles absolutely and your willpower and ability to get through it like actually genuinely gives me shivers so thank you so much for sharing that and trusting me to share it with other people so thank you so much Anna oh well thank you (laughs) thank you for having this conversation with me it's really cool and I'm loving what you're doing and would absolutely support it so oh my gosh thank you so much for listening to tall poppy talk we'll see you next time Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube and the website. Thanks for today's